You're now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. My name is Nathan Ambers, and of course your humble and obedient host, that's Benjamin Solzer. Hey. Right there. Associate producer extraordinaire. I'm here. He's right here. He's I there. Exist. You speak the truth. And speaking of speaking the truth, you know who else likes to speak the truth, Ben? I do, Nathan. <laughs> Why don't you tell people? Kermit the Frog. Wait. Generally. Does he? Are we not talking about the Muppets today? Well, oh, Jake is here. And Jake likes to speak the truth. That might be who you're talking waka about. Waka waka, he does. Yep. <laughs> what did you say, waka waka? I did. <laughs> you did not rose bloom. It's called, it's, it's called yes and. I was trying to support Ben's lousy Muppet premise. <laughs> I think you supported it in an appropriately lousy way. <laughs> there wasn't a lot I could do to bring that to no, life. But there wasn't. I did my best. <laughs> Maybe we should walk a walk away from that Muppet premise. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> speaking of speaking of walk and walk it away. <laughs> ah, waka waka. So let me just say hi ho to all of our listeners. Point is, hey, we're gonna have fun today because this is the first time we've actually recorded something since post COVID. Like the la- the last couple of things that you guys have heard has been, I mean, stuff that was supposed to come out in like March or something like that. Right. And we postponed it. We did Chip and Lance. And now here we are and we're having fun. As timely and pertinent to all your lives as movie music mashup felt. Uh-huh. We did record that a while ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I like that episode and I encourage you to listen to it if you no, haven't. No, it's good. Folks. Today's episode, though, is called On Saying Goodbye. And I suppose we should just come out. We should just like put our cards on the table yeah, right well, away. So right? this, yeah, this just started as us together processing our own goodbyes. Right. I'm 36 years old. I've lived in Bloomington for the last 18 years of my life. So half of my life. I've been married for 13 of those years as of yesterday. I've been a part of this church family for 14 years. And I've been serving it in campus ministry and as a pastor's college student and as an associate pastor, discipleship pastor, and the leader of and developer of all of our multimedia ministries and had a lot of leadership over our pastor's college, was the president for a time and I'm now chairman of the board. So this has just been my life for the past 14 years and and that's me, my goodbye, but we're all leaving together. Mm. Nathan, this church has been your whole life. Yeah, with a brief you grew up here. three or four year hiatus where I moved to a different place. I have been with this church since I was a kid, since second grade. People that I've lived with and been in fellowship with and learned from and been disciplined by my entire life, essentially, most of what I remember. I have a few memories of churches before this one. You know, I've been heavily involved for the last several years now in Warhorn Media, in all kinds of things. It's weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Ben, you've been here for five, six. It's coming up on five. Has it already gone past five? It's gone past five. Okay. I always forget. Yeah. Five and a half. Yeah. Five or so, six years. Yeah. yeah. And and so here we all are. And you know, you, you've not been here as long as we have, but that doesn't mean that we don't have our emotional claws in you. <laughs> That's right. Well, no. a lot of change, a lot of growth. 
Has happened while I'm has here. Has happened and a lot of, yeah. you know, relationships have been built. So we're all saying goodbye in our different ways to go plant a church down in Evansville. So we've all been processing that together. Yeah, and it's interesting to note the differences. Like, for example, Jake is very spatially aware and he is saying goodbye to places. places. You can sign up for our Evansville newsletter and read a wonderful little update Jake gave about I'm going to make it sound corny, but it was a, it was a tearjerker folks. He just about him walking to a waterfall that meant something in his life here in Bloomington folks. I'm a cosmopolitan. I'm a citizen of the world. I don't, <laughs> I don't rest my head anywhere. I mean, I don't, all kinds of, we could psychoanalyze me all day, but I don't think in terms of waterfalls, I don't feel sentiment about a place, but, but I, we all feel sentiment about people. Right. Mm-hmm. And, Others of us feel attachments and sentiment towards certain things or mm-hmm. objects. And so as we were processing this among our, ourselves and even talking about the different ways, like just this part of the conversation itself, where it's important to me to not just say goodbye to people, but to say goodbye to places. Mm-hmm. Saying goodbye to places isn't important at all to Nathan. Saying goodbye to people is pretty important. To- saying goodbye to people is really important. We just decided, you know, there are lots of, people, there are lots of places, there are lots of things that we all have to say goodbye to for different reasons, mm-hmm. in different ways. And you never know when that's going to happen. You know, you never know when a goodbye is going to be forced on you. Mm-hmm. If somebody dies or job situation, you get fired and you relocate, whatever, things happen. And we all need to know how to say goodbye and be good at saying goodbye and be able to talk about how to do it well and how not to do it. And so us talking at that through, it's just like, hey, actually, there's a really good episode here mm-hmm. in this that will be more helpful than just, well, we're going to Evansville. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's weird how these things sneak up on you. I'm thinking of one of me and Meredith's early times where I was a jerk and I think it was before we were married actually but she was moving to Bloomington she got out of storage these boxes and boxes and boxes of books she filled up her entire car with boxes full of books and brought them to my house and she was really excited to show me these books because these books really they all meant, meant something. something to her because she grew up kind of poor and you know every one of these books was like even, even the ones that she hadn't read they were given to her by a teacher or they were you know every one of them had a story she does associate she's a, heavily like a, a things person she keeps little yeah. mementos little coins little this is this hairpin that my sister gave me this is the pair of jeans i mean she literally has like and gift one. giving is very much her love language yeah yeah it really is she's, like, she's just like she's able to attach sentiment to things in a way that I don't naturally, which you can imagine folks goes great when she gets me a gift and I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, but it has all this meaning. And I'm like, uh, yeah. I thought about this for <laughs> months and <laughs> did all the, it got just the right thing and you need to appreciate all the things about it. Right. And all the reasons why. Whereas, I, whereas I'll be like, I will relate to you as a human being. And she'll be like, eh. And then I'll be like, here's a flower that I don't care about. And she'll be like, oh. <laughs> and I'll be like, no. <laughs> Curse you, love languages. But anyway, she brings these books home. And it's a wintry night. And I'm kind of annoyed because I'm bringing in these boxes 
of books and they come from storage and so they're covered in mold a lot of them and some of them have iced over and it's just like it's not a good situation but i being a dumb 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 stereotypical husband male i don't remember whether we were i don't think we were actually married but being that guy did not perceive that any of these things meant a fraction of a what fraction of what they did what i did perceive though is that we couldn't keep all these books. I needed to, to let her know that I was going to be an authority in the relationship. And if I didn't make sure that that was clear in this one situation, then probably it would never be clear. And she'd <laughs> never submit to me about anything at all. And so I was going to get rid of some of these books. I said, Alexa, play Let It Go. And then Alexa started playing Let It Go. And I was like, we're letting go of some of these books. <laughs> <laughs> and then I started to put the books in boxes to go to the dumpster <laughs> and, and some Super of these tactful yeah it was really That's tactful. amazing <laughs> <laughs> and so she's like near tears now, there, there's a time and a place to do this exact sort of thing and wow. where this is like the hero move moment in the movie but this wasn't it this no. was not that. no i mean there, there i won't embarrass meredith by telling stories of times when maybe i've done something like that and it's been the right thing there's even been times when I, where i've done the right thing tactlessly yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. where i should have just been nice about it but in this particular case yeah we weren't actually going to be able to keep all these books and yeah the ones with mold and stuff needed to go but oh, man. man it was it was poorly done and it was because i didn't understand that these all represented something about her life and that she needed to actually say goodbye to them and it needed to be a process and I, as her man, needed to have patience for that process, process for yeah. the process of saying goodbye to her childhood, to her family, to her, all these things. So that, all the things that represented escape from pain, right. to all the things that represented processing pain and difficulty and growth, to all man. the things that, I mean, I'm not trying to rub it in. I'm just saying that, no. that you know, <laughs> like, just this, rub is, it in. Yeah. this is the kind of thing that people do yeah and that we do and it's not necessarily wrong well and i was i think one of the bad guys we're going to talk about some ways not to say goodbye and i think i was i was guilty of all of them at once in this scenario because i just a i didn't perceive that we were even doing a goodbye and b i just wanted to rush through it and give it no weight give it no importance and I, i i'm sure lots of husbands find themselves in the same where they're just like I can't believe we have to act like this thing matters. You know, like this, it's just a... It's a moldy piece of paper. It was a vase. It was a this. It was a that. It was a photo, you know? <laughs> that's, how, that's how my wife felt with me. When Yeah, when Meg was helping me go through all of my stuff. Oh, you guys did a reverse Nathan We did Meredith. a reverse Nathan Meredith mm-hmm. because we had boxes and boxes of CD cases. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and CDs that... They might have been covered with a layer of dust, but that doesn't mean I didn't think they were important. And she didn't seem to understand that. (laughs) And so on with a number of items, like hundreds of different items and boxes of papers and notebooks. And I found myself looking through these things and saying goodbye to them. Mm -hmm. And whether or not that was legitimate, it was happening. (laughs) It was a hard process. And we did not have much fun, but I think she she did a pretty good job. But at some point, she was just a little exasperated that... I had boxes of CD cases and stuff. Well, I mean, she, I mean, it's not sentimental about anything like that man, either. Right. And it's the same as it's like purely pragmatic. Like when is the last time that you listened to a CD? 
Why do we have all of these CDs? You can't even load them up onto your computer. <laughs> This is useless garbage. But we're throwing it away. Spotify doesn't have the liner notes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'm the kind of person that I think I may even attach a little bit of sentiment to things. But when I get in that mode, there's a kind of masochistic pleasure that I take in just pretending like it's all going to burn anyway. So let's just get rid of it. We can rebuy it if we need to. And let's not, you know, it's stuff. Let's be godly, Meredith. Let's think about the material world and the spiritual world. And which one does this represent right now? I mean, that's, I, would, I, I wouldn't actually put it that way, but I think it, <laughs> that's how my brain is putting it to me as it pats me on the back for being awesome, <laughs> which I'm not. <laughs> Anyway, we could talk all day about stuff, but what we're here to do is talk about relationships. Well, all the things spiritual that we need to say things, goodbye to. Not saying stuff. goodbye. Well, I think that the reason we haven't talked about people, which is what we're probably going to spend most of our time on, is because people go without saying. Yeah, they do. But making space for things and places is important for people too. Whether well, I mean, how many of those same conversations have me and Meredith had one way or another about? Her old friends who live far away, who we're never going to see, about my old friends, about who we're going to visit. And it all basically comes down to the same conversation as which books we're going to throw away. It's like, we have to decide as a couple now which relationships we're discarding. I mean, that's the sort of cynical way to put it. So, yeah, it's the crass way it's to put it. It's the crass way of, to put it. But the reality is when you, and this is one of the things, I mean, when I was in college ministry, the very first, we'd have our call out meeting. And one of the things that I always used to do, and this was, what, 10, 15 years ago, I don't know how long, 10, 12 years ago. So things have changed further still. But one of the jokes that I used to make was on that very first night at our call-out meeting, we'd have a couple of hundred people there and it'd be like, okay, guys, I know. I watched it happen once and then I just made fun of it, made, a made it into a joke ever since. I, I know as soon as we get done here, You're gonna like pull, whip out your phone and you text your best friend from high school about how cool this new college group is and how awesome and fun and huh. hilarious this new college minister guy is. They're gonna be up at Ball State or Purdue or something. And meanwhile, your new best friend might be sitting next to you. And so guess what? The thing to do is to just be here now because God has brought you here. And it doesn't mean that you can't maintain some of those relationships, but everything's changing. Everything's going to change. And if you're not careful, you're going to be trying to live and maintain all these virtual vicarious relationships and not develop the real relationships that God has for you right here and right now. And part of what we're calling you to and going to be challenging you to here is to be a part of a community of people, to develop new relationships and new friendships that are godly and that are bigger than just even your college bubble. We want you to come to church. We want you to experience new things. We want you to grow in godliness. And a lot of that is putting your roots down and being here now and being a part of things. And this is a great time to press the reset button and say, I'm going to commit myself right now to godliness and to godly relationships. These kinds of conversations you have to have all the time in college ministry. Mm -hmm. And I think probably even more so now as, you know, then it was just like Facebook and stuff like that. Now it's like you've got Snapchat, you have all these video ways of interacting with people, technology that makes it easy and that's good, but you can't maintain 100% of these relationships in the same way and you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And the shouldn't is the part that it's hard for people to understand. 
it's, it's interesting to place this conversation in the 21st century, not just with social media, but with modern transportation. Like, I wonder if nobody need to be tell, told this 200 years ago, because oh, it's like, we done yeah. put our wagon together and we we're, we're, we're never going to see grandma again. Like, exactly. If you didn't say goodbye to grandma, then... That's it. That's it. Never going to see your brother you're never, again. You're never going to see your brother again. I, I mean, it's... Yeah. Your sister married the teacher and they went to Rochester to, te- you know, and you're not going to see them again. Maybe you'll see them one more time in your life. Write some letters, maybe. And now you're in a community and there's two neighbors and whether you like them or not, you better get to know those people. Like, right. this is your community. There isn't anything else. Exactly. We take a lot of that for granted. We take so much of it for granted. I mean, the fact that my parents can live not in the same town as me and I can still get in a car and go see them. It's not that we're just done with relationships. It's that we have to choose which ones to maintain in that way now. And that's really tricky. Yeah. Actually. My parents live an hour and a half, two hours away down the highway. I don't see them that often. We'll see a lot more of them when we move down to Evansville. But what I text on Saturday night that we just met with a realtor, he wants to list on Tuesday, probably, if we can get these things done. Any chance you can come up in your pickup truck and take some things down to storage for us? Mm-hmm. Sure, we'll come up tomorrow. It's amazing. Yeah. It happened via text message, and then they were able to drive up and back. Total of five hours they were out, including the time they just hung out with us for a minute. Yeah. It's insane. But given that, it just comp like we are going to move down to Evansville, which for context for people who aren't in Indiana, it's about ninety minutes south of where we are now. Yeah. We're not we're not hitching the wagon and you know, spending days making that trip and we're never coming back. We can come back anytime we want. It's a day trip. We've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram, we've The fact is we're gonna still spend a lot of time up in Bloomington. Right. Like, especially early on, but as we like some of the podcasts and things that work that we do that require us to be in the same room or work better with us in the same room as Tim Bailey. We're going to come up in Max Carell or Jody Killingsworth or Philip Moyer. Like we're going to come up and do that from time to time. Right. We may stack it a little bit more and spread it out, but it's nothing for us to keep doing that. And the technology exists where if we didn't want to do it that way, we wouldn't have to. And right. you wouldn't even have to know. I don't know how many podcasts I've been listening to where like halfway through I realize because somebody lets something slip that they're not in the same room, but you actually... You don't know you and don't, don't feel it because they mm-hmm. they have good chemistry and it's just the same thing, you know? Yeah. Like, well, so I just think that there is a temptation to think that we can actually stand outside the stream of time now. We don't have to be swept along on the river and swept away from relationships and swept away from things. We can actually... We've got Zoom. We've got... House party. We've got I transportation. Mean, e- e- even email. I mean, yeah. E- e- temptation in a sense that you're obligated to. You better, in fact. Yeah, like it actually feels well, the opposite. Like it, we have a responsibility. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. that's the tension is like what we, and even as we talk about it, what we don't want to do is say that all of those things are bad. No, not at all. Or they don't actually not come with some degree of obligation. Of obligation. And the easiest way to talk about this is family. Like- Okay, I don't get to pretend like I moved to California and mom's in New York and I've said goodbye to mom forever, except I write her a letter once every couple of months. God has given us the technology where I can be on the other side of the world and have a little bit of FaceTime with my mom with video. 
well, that is not something to throw away or to pretend doesn't exist. It would be at best right? a cold fish and at worst a wicked man who would deny his mother a little face time. Right. So these things are gifts and they're things that can be used for good. But where we go wrong is where we substitute them for the real relationships and community around us that are necessary. Man doesn't live on virtual relationship alone. We need real flesh and blood relationships with real people. I think that our quarantine time ought to have pointed that out to us in spades. Even the most reclusive antisocial among us are or have been driven to our wit's end and shown how much we need real contact with real people and real relationships. Yeah. Yep. Even when I was at my most reclusive and introverted, I could feel the damage happening inside. It was like, I like this. And also, it's it, bad. It's for so me. bad for me. Not ju- It's not like eating junk food where it actually tastes pretty good. It's bad enough for me that it actually tastes bad. Like this. I'm getting sick. I, I'm oh, getting yeah. sick. I can't keep doing this. No matter how much there is some little part of me that is thrilled to just be at home reading a book or whatever it was. I don't know. I think once you start to think about this sort of thing, once you start to accept that things die, that people die, that we do say goodbye. Once you start to see this and allow for it and have the humility to realize it, you begin to realize that even when you're in stasis, you're changing, right? I mean, the the only constant is change. You never step into the same river. You never step into the same river. Well, it is easy to, there are a bunch of new age platitudes we can use about this, but it is true that me and Jake don't have the same relationship that we did six years ago. Those guys are dead. Yeah. Like, and now we're different guys. And if we were trying to act like those guys, then it wouldn't work. It wouldn't it wouldn't even work. And how many relationships do you see where you actually do live in the same town? But things change. He gets married. Now you have to either make friends with the husband and wife combo or be downgraded to acquaintance. I mean, again, I'm speaking or, more crassly than Or get together and just pretend like things are the way that they always were mm, and yeah. feel weird about it. Yeah, I mean the universal experience. And walk away that, and be like well, things aren't what they were, but we should pretend it like it for a bit. Right. We don't actually have, we're not going to school to, I think everybody can probably relate to that first summer when you've gotten out of high school and you get together with those same friends and it's just like, what are we supposed to talk about? We don't have Mrs. Smith to make fun of anymore. Well, and, all the things that huh. you held. So, and this is part of, I mean, what binds our relationships together? It's basically... Unless it is built on something deeper, you know, people can build relationships on the gospel, mm-hmm. on shared experience or shared trauma or whatever. But most of our relationships really, when you boil them down to, they come down to two things. And it's just proximity and affinity, right? Mm-hmm. It's just what has forced us together, whether it's mm-hmm. school or work or a neighborhood. What are the superficial things that we like or enjoy that we can talk about and find that we get along? Sports, movies, music. The thing about superficialities is they inevitably change. Yeah, And the proximity changes too. And proximity changes. And so all these relationships that you thought were so deep in high school, you get to college, where did they go? And why do you not even care? Well, they weren't really built on anything much more than we were thrown together in school and we liked some of the same things. Now I'm in a new place and it was hard to say goodbye, but eh, whatever. Because I'm not the same person. I'm in a new place. There are new people that I'm around. I like the same things or I like different things. And I'm with 
people who like those things too. Well, and, yeah, there's that. And then there's the fact that sometimes people change and you lose respect for them or they lose respect for you. And that could be because, well, I guess in the best case scenario, that would be because you yourself, you grew. You've matured and they haven't. And they haven't. Or, or, or you, you love the Lord more and they fall away. And that kind of thing happens. Yeah. I, I had an old friend text me. <laughs> randomly wanting to engage in kind of an abstract discussion about the Bible. We haven't talked in like a long time. And he was a younger guy that looked up to me. I texted him something about a philosophical problem with the Bible and how he should just obey scripture. (laughs) And that made him really mad. And what he fired back was like this completely contemptuous, disrespectful demand that I answer him on his terms. And I think probably that was time to let that one go. (laughs) Yeah, well, look. Yeah, there are things that you just have to let go of and things that you have to be willing to move past, even. Right. Right? Like, you guys are moving to Evansville. Mm -hmm. Everything is going to be new for you. I'm moving back to Evansville. The first 18 years of my life were formed in this city called Evansville. That for better or worse, doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And the people that I knew, yeah, they don't exist anymore either. Hashtag you can't go home again. You can't go home again. 18 years is a lot of time. That girl I went to prom with, well, she's been married, had kids, divorced, and remarried. Mm. You know, whatever the actual circumstance, like she is not the same person, right? The that That guy I grew up playing baseball with, well, he's moved away. He's gotten married. He's lived in three other communities. He moved back home to take care of his dying dad. Like, he is not the same person that he was. And even just having this conversation right now, it's helpful to me to be like, hey, you got to like write it on your hand. Do not treat any old friends like you still know them. Mm -hmm. Treat them like new acquaintances. Have enough respect for them to respect the fact that they have changed and grown and get to know them as they are now. Don't try to pretend like you've got all these old things. You, you do, and you can reminisce. But at the same time, give people the respect and space to have changed and grown and had a whole, any number of experiences that you don't even know about. Was that marriage that she was in, was it abusive? You don't know. Like, who died? What, what heartaches, what heartbreaks, what joys, what successes, what triumphs, what corners did people turn that you never thought they would turn? But even being able to do that would be much easier if I had done a good job of my goodbyes mm-hmm. yeah. a long time ago, right? Yeah. Apart from changing schools from kindergarten to first grade and from second grade to third grade, this is only the second time I've really had to, le- to ch- change communities and have real goodbyes. So I want to, I want to do this as well as we as I can as we can. And COVID's made it hard. Absolutely. Obviously, we're gonna talk about that. Ways to say goodbye, right, and ways to say goodbye wrong. One of the reasons, though, that I think I've done it wrong so many times in my life is because I either just don't think it's necessary, or. You know, I'm not aware it's happening. There'll be like the Meredith's book situation where it's just like, oh, there's a spiritual emotional reality here. And I'm just like not even tuned into that radio station. Yeah. And a lot of college goodbye was that. 
Yeah. Right, I'm leaving to go to college and you just don't really understand the full implications of what's happening. You're graduating high school and going away. I think for me, the other one is this kind of weird reverse selfish fake humility instinct that's just like, who would want to say goodbye to me? Absolutely. Like, I'm not going to waste everyone's time. I'm just going to get out of their hair. Like, I'm mm. going to I'm gonna leave. Mm. When I went away for my three or four year hiatus from Bloomington, I didn't say goodbye to anyone. I mean, I barely said goodbye to my mom. And it wasn't because I was trying to be, in retrospect, I was being a very selfish jerk. But in my mind, it was like, well, let's give them all a break. Let's let's save the, the sobs and not make everybody have to do histrionics. And let's let's save everyone the trouble. And there was like some just basic self-hatred in there. I'm, I'm actually not worth it, first of all. Yeah. But it's like, okay, Nathan, in some Calvinist sense, you're not worth it. But <laughs> actually, <laughs> you're made in God's image, so you are. And these people love you and you're worth it to them and you're you're doing the opposite of what you think you are you think you're being selfless but you're actually being very selfish because in order to save yourself from a little bit of pain you're denying everyone the opportunity to have closure yeah. with you and it's just simply selfish yeah and I, yeah. I feel that very much and it it's hard for me to to realize and accept that I mean as much to as many people as I do as their pastor yeah, well, it's double hard for you in this situation because you symbolize things to people. Like you just, you mean things that you have no idea. Right. Like you just preached that sermon that one time or you just put that shoulder mm. on someone and like you meant a lot to them. I mean, we've, we even run into this with podcasting where I right. meet people or people tell me things where it's like. I don't remember saying that thing that you say changed your life. Right. Like I, I don't remember half the things that we do, but the people that listen and love us do. Yeah. And I have to accept that I meant something to them, even when it's like, I, I just naturally don't have the same things Persp- going Well, you don't have the same perspective on it, right? And that's part of being part of this is being sensitive to other people's relationship to you and perspective on you and what you mean. That's hard. That's a hard thing to, to do and a hard position to be in, especially for people like three of us who are very much on the we're all from broken homes and quick to say we don't matter and and why yeah. would anyone yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 it's the kind of pride you learn yeah as yeah. a self-protection it, it, yeah that it is like it, it is in all of the ways if when it comes down to when we get come down to talking about the ways to do it wrong all of them really do come down to self-protection yeah right? it's like it I, is i don't want yeah. to be caught saying a meaningful goodbye to someone like it is the scariest thing in the world for me to think right now, as we go to Evansville to this day, like I, I, I have, I could, I could probably work myself up into a sweat thinking about a situation where I might go and act like I meant something to someone and then them be like, whatever, reject that. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, what, why are you, why are you saying goodbye to me? <laughs> like, I don't care. <laughs> well, and the thing is I've been on the other side of that. I think we probably all have been on the other side of that where I've had, pastors or father figures or teachers and they had no idea how much they meant to me yeah like they i i locked into them and they did things that changed my life but it was just a a lesson you know a a a chapel lesson at at my christian and they felt really bad about it and were really insecure about it and they walked away thinking well that sucks yeah and probably they were just like some 22 year old punk who didn't know what they were doing yeah but to me it was like 
this guy gets me. This guy gets it. This guy's my guy. And I locked into it. And then they, there's been plenty of places where that person's done the right thing. And they've, they've realized, you know, they've anticipated the fact that I might mean some, mm-hmm. you know, you guys. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. they might mean something to you. Right. There's yeah. been other situations sure. where I think through, just through thoughtlessness, not through malice, people like that have not anticipated that they meant anything. In fact, they've been, they've had the same kind of self-effacing, oh, I probably didn't mean anything. And it's yeah. been devastating because I don't get closure with that person or I, you know, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And what they end up sure. communicating to you is that you didn't really mean anything to them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it, whether they meant that or not, you might've thought of me as a father figure, but. I never thought of you as a son. <laughs> oh. <laughs> ah! Okay. If I did, I would have said goodbye. Well, jump off a bridge, I guess. Oh, <laughs> but it's, it's a, that kind of self-protection is natural, mm-hmm. right? It is the kind of thing that we all do. And the more that, okay, if daddy left, if mommy left, whatever, when you were a kid, you know, the more intense that instinct might be, yeah, right? To protect ourselves from that kind of pain. Like you don't ever want to feel that kind of pain again if you've walked through it. Right. Or f- feel like you walked through it, whether you, you did or didn't. Maybe your interpretation as a kid was wrong, but whatever. So the more intense, you know, you've been through those kinds of things before, the more you try to protect yourself. You right. know, it's You have to learn to not be self-protective in these kinds of situations and to be aware of them and aware of yourself. And so I think a lot of what we want to do in talking it through is really just, these are the kinds of things you are naturally going to want to do. One or the other or a combination mm. of... And you need, to, you need to be able to step back and see yourself doing them and tell yourself no. Well, I think that brings us to our classic Sound of Sanity segment. Four ways, Four ways to, to say goodbye wrong. wrong. Everybody, welcome to Four Ways to Say Goodbye Wrong. Arrivederci. <laughs> Ciao. <laughs> Why are those ways wrong? We're Americans. <laughs> Alf beaters and <laughs> All right. juice. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, no, these are uh, t- four ways to do it wrong. And I'll just tell that's you. That's a good joke, Ben. That's... I approve of that. Oh, yeah, that was thanks, right, right up there with the Muppets right. joke. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm, glad. <laughs> I'm just going to say what they are. Avoid, preempt, sabotage, hold on. Those, yep. those are the four. So let's talk right. first about the number one. That's not the number one. The chronologically number one way to say goodbye wrong. Wow, could I make that any more convoluted? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah, I probably could. You could. But I'm not going to, because clarity is part of communicating on a podcast. <laughs> Avoid, preempt, sabotage, hold on. Okay, avoid. How do people avoid saying goodbye? And what do we mean by that? And what's wrong with it? The very first thing that you can do wrong, and this is probably the most elementary maybe even childish thing to do is to just simply avoid processing it whatsoever. Avoid, ignore, be in denial about the fact that you are saying goodbye Mm -hmm. or that you have a goodbye to say, that there is pain, there is grief, there are, are sadnesses that actually have to be dealt with. You just decide to be in denial about this. And I'll, I'll rat out one of my kids here. I have a kid who feels everything so intensely Call him Larry. 
<laughs> Protect his identity. <laughs> All right, Larry. <laughs> I would never in my life name a kid Larry. Larry Mentzel. Um, sorry to any Larrys out there for that <laughs> comment, by the way. <laughs> I like the name Larry. All right, go ahead, Jay. I would go with Lawrence if I was if I had to name a kid that. Uh, um, he feels everything so intensely in a way that is reflexive and incomprehensible to him. He can't control it. He goes to great lengths to protect himself. So when we first started talking to the kids about moving to Evansville, his self-preservation tactic was, this is the greatest thing ever. I am so happy. (laughs) I'm excited to leave. This is the best. I'm going to school tomorrow. I'm telling everybody I'm leaving. I'm going to Evansville. I'm so excited. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. I am going to unconsciously wound everybody by telling them, ha suckers, I'm out of this stupid place and I hate you anyway. That's what my friends are going to hear, but that's not what I understand myself to be saying. Fact is, it hurts so bad that I can't face it. And so I just have to make a decision right away that it's going to be the greatest thing ever or I'm going to fall to pieces. Right? Yeah. That's his response. And you actually, I think you bagged at least three of them in that one thing. Yeah, they are all there, actually. It, it, well, and these things are all they, so they are, interconnected. Are, are, it's yeah, hard yeah. to talk about them. It is, yeah, separately, right? So the other ones are preempt and sabotage, right. yeah, which is right. What he's doing, and yeah, that's yeah. exactly mm-hmm. what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And he is that sensitive that he would just throw the kitchen sink at a problem this traumatic and this big mm-hmm. without even know, just intuitively that's what he's going to do. But it was really sweet to be able to talk it through with him and open it up and give him some space to actually be sad and you're right Larry it is going to be great (laughs) (laughs) don't let me hear you say otherwise (laughs) was that the conversation I'm guessing no no it wasn't that conversation it was was like helping him ease into the hot tub you know Mm. it's like and also not just it's okay to be sad and it's actually important for you to be sad and to process your grief and to grieve but uh, if you don't do that and because you haven't for the last day you, you've actually hurt a lot of people that you love and you don't realize how you've hurt them. You've hurt their feelings. And I mean, we're like losing it at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. And then he's going to go and try to make it right. Mm-hmm. But you can see this sort of thing in kids and kids may be the best way to talk about ourselves because it's hard. A loved one dies, your grandpa dies, your daddy leaves. You don't know what to do with it, right? You want to pretend like it doesn't matter. You're going to pretend like you'll be okay. You're going to get there first. Our second one, you're going to preempt it, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to like say your goodbye. You're going to rush through things. You're going to see yourself to the door so that the goodbye is on your terms, whether you do it or not. And Well, at the, at the post-high school party that's awkward because we no longer have anything in common, it's the breathless, probably girl that's... You know, isn't this fun? Aren't we having fun? Like, yeah. should the gang's back together, and <laughs> I know how much you like Jello, and you know, <laughs> oh, like, come on, guys. I, actually, I don't like Jello that much. I don't changed. <laughs> that was third grade. That was third, we, and I looked forward to the Jello cups. This isn't third grade anymore. I don't care about the Jello cups unless they're Jello shots. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it is. It's a. It's that exact sort of thing, and it and it is an all context right whether it's saying goodbye at the high school party or it's you know somebody has had a battle with cancer or something they're they're gonna die this is what joe bailey talks about in his book view from a hearse Mm -hmm. you can watch couples even married couples 
the living person who's going to have to go on will begin emotionally distancing themselves from their husband or their wife who's dying in the bed. So that goodbye will be a kiss on the lips. And I think this is basically the example that he moves. Goodbye moves from a kiss on the lips to a kiss on the cheek, to a kiss on the forehead, to a hand squeeze, to away from the door. And people do this reflexively to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. But it's selfish. And you're not thinking about the fact that this is your wife. This is your husband. And their last days as they're going to to face death and to go have to stand before the throne of God are watching you distance yourself from them emotionally. We do that when it comes to death and we do that, you know, when it comes to our relationships with people where we try to rush through and process things ahead of time and process it on our own terms, get as emotionally distanced as we can, either by avoiding it emotionally or rushing through the processing before the time has come. They're both bad and they're both hurtful and harmful. And not just to the other person, to you. You need to walk through death and face up to death with that loved one. Mm -hmm. You need to walk up to the end of your time in a place with people and be there with them to the end. And it's not that you don't have things that- uh, Mitigate it. Yeah, transitions to make, steps, places (laughs) where you need to step back or step away from things places where you need to, where seeking out closure, certain kinds of closure are a process that can take Mm -hmm. days, weeks, months. But the point is that you don't shut it off, shut off the relationship, close it off too early. Yeah. Um, Well, it's an interesting thing. I've been sitting here thinking about how I handle things like this. And I mean, for me, it's inevitably humor. You know, it's like, well, that sure was a funeral that we just, you know, it'll be something like, let's pretend like that didn't matter at all. And I think that some of, some of that can be really selfish, can be immature, can be my way of not dealing with the, the things. But I would be wary about listeners thinking they can't use the emotional tools that God gave them to... Like, there are, there are certain topics that you have to sidle up to, you can't just walk up to. Sometimes you're... It's like your eyes getting used to the light. Like, you need to make a few jokes so that you can then say the serious comment. There, you, you need to hold the person in the hospital by the hand before you kiss them on the lips. There are ways that we make it easy for ourselves. And I am i don't want people to think that they have to be yeah. punishing in the way that they avoid Look, all those things. This is a great thing to bring up. Because I think that people, they get these ideas from movies about the way that... Well, if they're not going to just sort of detach emotionally, mm-hmm. they'll go into a sort of... Uh, movie over sentimentalization of this is, this of is what emotion is supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to look like. We're going to put on the drama here. Mm-hmm. And in any case, just a a simple Godward, matter of fact way of looking at things, where humor can play such mm-hmm. a, a crucial role at the hospital bed. Right. Not to make light of death. Not to distract people necessarily from the gravity of what's happening, but to acknowledge that there's real tension here that we all feel. We all have tension that we're uncomfortable with, and it's okay, and we'll work through it together. Humor can be used in all kinds of healthy ways to not distract from the elephant in the room, but to acknowledge it for what it is, and to acknowledge it in the cosmic grand scheme of things, right? Mm -hmm. 
I also find it helps me with timing. I can't always express all my emotions because if they came out right then, they they would actually come out inappropriately too strong. Especially if something catastrophic, like just some random, you know, a car crash or something like that. I will often be really deadpan. I remember my window was smashed in and me and my then girlfriend walked up on my car being smashed in and my computer being stolen. And my reaction to something like that is just very matter of fact. Take it in stride. And it's not that I don't feel things and it's not that we don't process it, but it takes me an hour to get to the place where I can process it appropriately. Yeah. So if I can just be a little deadpan, even a little funny about it to just to move yourself along the process and to help move her and you know, should we move on to number two? Yeah. Although we've sort of you sort of pushed did get us to into it. Yeah. <laughs> Avoid, preempt, sabotage, and you got hold on, which, I mean, maybe I'll just go into hold on a little bit because... Well, let's let's talk about sabotage a little bit more. I mean, I think we've talked uh, about avoidance and preempting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about sabotage just a little bit more because it, yeah. it fits in so well with those others. Mm-hmm. And then we could talk about holding on because that is almost something that can be treated in a categorically different yeah, way. Yeah, you're right. Can we start with some examples of sabotage? I think it might be nice to work backwards to a definition here. Yeah, well, well, Larry is one example, right? Let me just blow these relationships to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's not consciously thinking he's blowing the relationships to pieces, but he is. Right. He's blowing them to pieces because he's he's decided that the only way to deal with the grief of leaving these behind and saying goodbye to people is to pretend like whatever's ahead is so much better that this will be nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's harmful, right? Right. He doesn't see, he doesn't see he's eight years old. He doesn't understand how hurtful that is. Well, for me, the obvious go-to example that I'm sure a lot of our listeners will hopefully not relate to that much, but maybe they will, is if you've ever had a romantic relationship that's broken up a lot of times, you don't you don't just say, well, this isn't working. You both sort of know it, and then you find something dumb to, to, get, to get mad to, about to get or to about. fight about. <laughs> or, I mean, I'm not going to give examples from my life because they'd be yeah. too embarrassing, but it's we're going to find something to, to blow this to pieces. Yeah, and then you've got a reason. Oh, she was just dumb about that thing. Yeah, and that reason can never be, I wasn't mature enough to lead us through this relationship in a way that was healthy. Or we just weren't good for each other. Or we weren't compatible. Right. Or it didn't work. Or she just wasn't that into me. Mm. I have to turn this into a moral of I am better than you. I am right and you are wrong. Otherwise, why would you ever have wanted to leave me? Right. There has to be some simplistic narrative where something happened and... Yeah. Someone was the bad guy and someone was the good guy. It can never be we grew to a place where we needed to part ways and this was the right and healthy thing to do. It's always somebody has to be the bad guy and it's not me. What what are you doing wrong? What have you done wrong? What are your bad motivations in ending or changing this relationship that I can latch on to in order to further justify myself? Because in some ways, I am so insecure, I inevitably see it as a judgment of me that you would move mm-hmm. on from me anyway, right? And so you find any number of ways to plant bombs and to sabotage 
this relationship. And but we'll we'll all be just as tempted and susceptible to doing it as we leave Bloomington to go to Evansville. Oh, what was dumb about Bloomington? What was yeah. dumb about this church? What was what were what what, what was this person's problem? Why <laughs> uh-huh. why what, can't we? What, get what all... were all the bad things <clears throat> relationally that define this or that other thing? Yeah. Right, like. Now it's suddenly some kind of self-righteous narrative that you've turned it into. Those are temptations that everybody has at every step along the way. And and that'll work both ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, here's maybe a, a dumb example. You know, in high school, I quit the baseball team. I quit the baseball team because I had just become a Christian and it was dominating my life. And there was this youth group I wanted to be a part of because I knew I was going to have to go away to college and I wanted to grow as much as I could, right? And so leave behind such a painful part such an integral part of my life was a very painful thing to do. And I had to have a, a justification for it that was a righteous justification. So it was a God-first justification. And God-first justifications are good mm-hmm. when they're legitimately God-first. And in this case, a lot of it was. But, I mean, how many guys, how many people have you, have you known that have used God as an excuse to break up with somebody because they found somebody cuter? Mm-hmm. And people on the other side of that know that. And they feel your hypocrisy. And... You know, I I torched a lot of relationships in high school over my faith and over becoming a Christian. Mm-hmm. That grew into an animosity in certain relationships that I probably can never recover from even to this day. And it's and, and there's a good way that this happens too, right? Like if you end a friendship for godly reasons because that friendship was harmful mm-hmm. to you spiritually, well, that person is going to be antagonistic to, toward you and have to find a, a way to make you into the bad guy so they can continue justifying their behavior. Mm-hmm. But we do that even in good situations, is I guess the point. Yeah. Yeah. We, we turned nothings that should be handled maturely as adults into rights and wrongs, and I'm better thans. I, I've certainly done that in my life and it's because i want catharsis basically like i want to know that we're done that like real life is so sloppy and messy and there's so many pieces to pick up and it's just like no fun to do that work it is work and it's hard work a lot of Mm -hmm. times so it's like if we can just call it quits on this relationship you know not talking romantic but with this person with this organization with this whatever then it'll be much easier for me and if the narrative can be that I was the good guy and that they were the bad guy somehow, so much the better. I mean, I think that's a lot of callow, young, Facebook warrior type men who end up leaving churches. They can't handle just being a part of the church culture where they have to be humble and obey, but also encourage the church to do better on this or that. You know, like that, that kind of work is hard. Well, yeah, in the online world, in fact, when you bring in Facebook warriors, the online world allows for that kind of relational sabotage to happen all over the place, right? Like mm-hmm. I can argue about truth and scare quotes and never have to deal with real people mm-hmm. and real relationships. And there are all kinds of ways that you can sabotage a relationship, even a good, healthy relationship with a family member through just throwing in a, a virtual mediator like that and stepping back. Well, I'm sure a lot of our yeah. listeners will relate to, you've got that, you got that mother-in-law that you don't like or that aunt or the person that comes to the reunion or you've got this side of the family. And man, isn't it nice if you can contrive a reason to never have to talk to those people again. And I'm not saying that there aren't godly situations where you do that. And I'm not trying to, you know, 
if our listeners have those situations, do not, this isn't for you. But man, don't we so all sometimes dream like, what if I didn't have to see Aunt Betsy anymore? Like, wouldn't yeah. it be great if we could just push things to the place where Aunt Betsy and us are just on the outs and we don't have to try and love Aunt Betsy anymore because she's difficult. Well, that brings us to number four. Ben, you're going to tell us about Hold On. Well, I, I actually, I just remembered how sentimental I was as a kid, Nathan, mm-hmm. and how I would just, in my mind, like every night lying in bed, I think about all these friendships mm-hmm. that I had or, you know, used to have. And I think about all these friends that I wanted to see again. Like I would think back, I don't know. I would, So I'm trying to remember how old I would have been. So preteen, mm-hmm. thinking back like, what about this friend? They moved away. And I pray, God, let me see this friend again. Mm-hmm. Let me see. And then I think about all these other people. Like, what about these people? I don't see them anymore. Lord, let me see them again. So I'd like uh, be obsessing over my past. And this one kid I met on the playground, I liked him. Will I see him again? I don't know. It's like a piece of me is gone. This is like this bizarre mm. <laughs> <laughs> sentimental little kid. <laughs> that was just abs- I can, I can I really, really, really? okay. Yeah. Maybe, I remember, maybe that's just normal. When I was about nine years old, I remember walking into my parents' kitchen and bursting into tears. <laughs> and my mom was like, "What's wrong, Nathan?" And I was like, "I just remembered the good old days." <laughs> but they're they're gone now. <laughs> they're they, they're gone. They really are. I'll t- let me tell a couple of stories. On yeah, myself. yeah. So my parents divorced when I was six, five, six years old. I have memories of going to the beach with my parents when they were still together down in Florida, walking on the beach with my mom and picking up seashells, throwing a seashell away because it was too small, and then feeling so bad about that seashell Mm -hmm. (laughs) that nobody else would ever want that because it's too small. And I had a chance to pick it up and making my mom take me back to look for it and never finding it. And then that being a part of you know, my memory of my happy time together with my parents, but even things like a vacation to Florida, you, you meet somebody on vacation. There's this kid from London who misunderstood my name to be Jay instead of Jake. Mm-hmm. And I just sort of let him call me Jay. It's so all these, all these kids that moved away and all these little relationships that you get sentimental about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. Hard. Being a kid is hard. Being a kid is hard. Being That's a weird. Kid is hard. And a certain kind of maybe all kids, they're they're surprisingly sentimental about their own like I was nostalgic for my childhood when I was a child in a I yeah in a weird way. Maybe that's more I just assumed it was me, but it sounds like it wasn't. Or maybe you guys are all just weird. I don't know. But I definitely relate to what you're talking about though. Yeah. I had those moments. It, it's like your sense of the fragility of everything as a kid is really heightened. Mm-hmm. Like every little loss means yeah, you give personality to a seashell. Or a firefly that dies in a jar, and you feel oh, yeah. terrible. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, look, I had a doll. I had three dolls. I had Ernie, Bert, and Cookie Monster. I grew up with Ernie, Bert, and Cookie Monster. They really meant a lot to me. Like I would go to bed with them, and we'd go on adventures. <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't go to bed, and it was like through these three little dolls and it had to be I think Bert slept on the outside Ernie slept on the inside and Cookie Monster was kind of snuggled like he was their wow. their baby because he's a little shorter than, at least right. in this version he was right. a little shorter than those two and I just had these dolls I remember being pretty even at that time meta about it like I know that Calvin does this in Calvin and Hobbes and I know that these are like my dolls just like Linus has his blanket but that didn't 
remove any of right. the that feeling that I really needed connection. it. And I kept them way too long. And I remember... <laughs> I was really happy last year when you said goodbye, I think. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was better for all of us. When we had that, Going to play we had that church. When we put them in the cannon and <laughs> <laughs> shot them into space. <laughs> <laughs> and finally my wife could sleep in bed with me. <laughs> The dog ate them. <laughs> we got a dog, and the dog ate Ernie Burton, Cookie Monster. So <laughs> that was the end of them. that was the end of them. <laughs> it's the forced wow. goodbye. <laughs> it was the forced goodbye. I think one day, like Ernie was missing his guts, and Cookie Monster's eyes disappeared, and oh, no. they kind of went in pieces. Oh, no, <laughs> but, but finally, they were all gone. I actually remember being like twelve or thirteen, and my mom knew how much they meant to me so she was like just to sit on the shelf i got you new ernie burton cookie monster and i was like mom a i'm too cool for that and b like they're not the same (laughs) 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 they they don't mean the same thing (laughs) (laughs) but i mean i was holding on to my child i mean we could we could dr freud this quite quite a bit you know and now that Nathan has learned that if you attach yourself to objects too much, the dog might eat them and <laughs> wreck you. He right. no longer has any attachments to any objects nope. whatsoever. Nor will he permit his wife to. Nor will he permit his wife to and will ruthlessly <laughs> attack what I told. any Meredith, the dog might eat these books. <laughs> Throw them away. <laughs> Quick. <laughs> like De Niro. Yeah. Like De Niro and Heat. Remember Jimmy McElwain on a yard used to say, you want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. Remember that? That's my philosophy. Man, it is easy to hold on to things. And we've been on the periphery of a situation where a, to take an extreme example of this, where an old man died and his son who was into all kinds of weird spirituality was oh, yeah. was desperately trying to at the graveside service trying to bring him to life resurrect him resurrect him basically one of the most wicked men in the whole wide world yes yeah, a very wicked man but just to take that extreme example i mean these are you know the people that say if you really believed in the power of jesus then you wouldn't have to say goodbye to this relative cuz they could just they could go on i mean that is the the weird super spiritual length that we'll go to to deny death yeah deny change and refuse to process anything and refuse to process anything because to process it would be to lack faith actually if we had faith then we would believe that we don't have to process these things exactly and i think people don't mm-hmm. just do we, that with we, death but you do it with, with relationships everything. with oh yeah yeah well in it it uh process the difficult things of the bible that the bible actually says right if Mm. we're just super spiritual about our reading of scripture then we'll never have to face the difficult things in scripture we can Mm. just sort of have a nice shiny veneer over that too and that that was i had a roommate in college who was super brilliant scary smart in all of life but he grew up pentecostal so he he didn't understand the first thing about the bible at all because he could never face it on its own terms it was all this like weird spiritualization of, of absolutely everything that he read mm-hmm. and interpreted in these weirdly personal bizarre ways like when i finally got him to sit down and actually just hey 
And he was all like, you have to be led by the Spirit when you read the Bible, or otherwise, what he meant is you have to work yourself up into some kind of weird thing. It's like, mm-hmm. no, you can actually trust the Spirit of God mm-hmm. to have meant what he said <laughs> when the words were mm-hmm. written, and then you can read the mm-hmm. words and interpret them like a normal human being. Turns out they mean what they say. If you trust that they mean what they say, you'll learn a lot more about who God is and you'll get to know God much better. And, you know, and he went from like zero to Calvinist in Mm. the course of that (laughs) semester, right? (laughs) But yeah, we do that sort of thing with all kinds of things. Hmm. The way that we just try to hold on, that goes back to something I was talking about earlier with maintaining relationships virtually. Mm -hmm. All the ways that people simply refuse it's everything from if somebody dies, it's the a- the athlete who likes to imagine that his dad's up in a cloud with a harp mm-hmm. watching every game. I know that he's watching me, you know, yeah. mm. kind of thing. He's with me. He'll be in my heart, you know, my heart will go on, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Or, you know, that all the ways that you try to maintain relationships with people virtually when you have moved into a new place mm-hmm. and God's brought new people around you and you need to detach and attach, attach, put roots down and really grow and mature where God's planted you That's um, and with the people that God has brought around you. I'm sitting here thinking about the small ways I, I always like to talk about on the booking or sanity at the movies when we talk about art, people fall in love with a certain experience that they had with a book or something. And they do not want to acknowledge that when they read the book again, it changes that those, Mm -hmm. I was thinking about this with your friend, like he got certain feelings out of spirituality, out of people do this with religion all the time. Like it, it gave me this, it gave me a high and I don't want to do the work of grieving that going away. That can't go back there. That has to die in order for maturity to happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's certain places you can't go back to in the same way. And yeah, things really do have to die for you to mature. The seed falls to the ground, it dies, Mm -hmm. and and something new and beautiful and better comes forth from it. And when we die, we actually all have to die. Mm -hmm. And die, die. Right. All the way. In order to become whatever it is we will be, the thing that we can't imagine. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But and I mean, our relationships have to go that uh, go through those processes. The books and the art and the movies and whatever they have to go through those processes too. And we 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 want so much to live in these places of arrested development. Mm-hmm. But the fact is, a book that meant a lot to you when you were seven will not mean the same thing to you when you are thirty, and that's okay. It served its purpose. Does it, is that- it is. It doesn't have to live up to the feelings it gave you when you were seven, when you're 30, and you don't have to pretend that it does. I honestly, I make this connection with, like if somebody tells me Star Wars still gives them the same kicks that it did when they were eight, like my thought process is, okay, what are you going to do when your grandma dies? I mean, honestly, like Hmm. you cannot let go of a a simple little feeling about a stupid movie. What are you going to do when you have to let go of something that matters? You can't just like grow up and, like Avengers now, but I right? Mean, I mean, honestly, can you at least find a new Star Wars? I'm not telling you you have to watch Citizen Kane. Right. I mean, just just to make it as prosaic as possible, you yeah. know. You can see people have tells about this in every area of their mm-hmm. life. Yeah, 
Yeah. This is the souffle, the way that my mom made it. And it needs to taste that way so that I can go back to that. Yeah. And then you have people who have built their lives that way, who then try to recreate all of that for you because they can't comprehend actual growth and maturity. It's often family, right? Mm -hmm. So it'll be like, oh, it's Thanksgiving dinner. Let me make the terrible version of the terrible thing that I had that you remember from your childhood because I remembered it from my childhood because grandma remembered it from her childhood and mm. now we have this tradition of having this terrible dish that nobody actually likes right. here's some American cheese <laughs> nobody actually likes this can we mature into cheddar yeah <laughs> <laughs> can we grow up we live, in, is- we live in a world where we don't have to have craft singles all the time actually mm-hmm. anymore can our palates change do I still have to like orange slices because I liked them when I was six or whatever it actually is. You know what I'm saying? Well, and people, like, people get so, they take this so personally when you try it. You, 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 yeah, you well, yeah, like you, snob, you say like, that. Like, hey, if you gave up Harry Potter, you might enjoy other told novels, yeah, Tolstoy. Yeah. And it's like, you sound like a jerk and they think you're a jerk and they hold on to Harry. Actually, Harry Potter's great and it did this for me and I love, it's like, fine. Hey, but Tolstoy's, Harry Potter is great and it did that for you, but now read mm-hmm. something else. And yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean that, what I, what I want to say is like, can I enjoy an orange slice in a nostalgic way because I enjoyed them when I was six? Yeah, sure. Is it sweet and fun to get orange slices in my stocking every year? Yeah, sure. Kind of. Yeah, I'm not saying there's no place for nostalgia or anything like that. Yeah. But it's, it's like let, a fun joke. Let Star Wars point, right? be like, the but, thing. But like, yeah. it, it, it's okay. You loved it when you were six and that's enough. It did its job in your life. Great. Star Wars gave you everything that it could, and you got so much entertainment out of that thing. Now, now watch, watch Clone Wars. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> go to the same place. Absolutely. And listen to our episodes. Well, so I mean, honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, remember, I remember being so resistant to the idea that Lord of the Rings wasn't the greatest literary work ever produced. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's, We're reading it. Darn. It's, it's, it's good. Great. Well, It's great. Yeah. But it is not. It is not the greatest literary work ever produced. Well, no. here's the thing about that, though, that's so interesting. I mean, so much of this is you give something up and God is good and he gives something back. You know, you yep. are done with your Facebook relationships that don't really mean anything and then you make new friends. But it's also even something like t- Tolkien. Like, there's that stage where you die to the pleasure it gave you when you were a kid. Yeah. And that stage sucks. But that can actually allow for the stage where you go back and read as as thoroughly an adult. And you're just like, oh, this works as an adult novel in other mm-hmm. ways. And now yeah. I like it that way. Absolutely. Well, you well, mm-hmm. it's like Lewis wrote in his dedication to uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe for his niece or whoever it was. Mm. I started this when you were young enough for fairy tales. Hopefully soon you'll be old enough to enjoy them again or whatever it is that he he, he writes. So Tolkien's a good example of this, right? Your experience of Tolkien as a kid was one thing. Mm -hmm. Your experience of Tolkien now is another thing. In 10 years, when you start reading Tolkien to your nine-year-old or 10-year-old, it's going to be a completely different experience. Right. And you'll get it back in a whole lot of ways. And you may not feel the same magic yourself, but you'll get to watch your kids feel the magic. But if I was just always like, the Battle of Helm's Deep Rocks, man, and it needs to feel exactly <laughs> like it did when I was a kid. Then you're just depressing everyone, <laughs> And you're depressing yourself. yourself. You're <laughs> robbing yourself of the new joys that you could have in Lord of the Rings. And we've managed to turn this into a conversation about 
fantasy and sci-fi. <laughs> well, well, that was easy. It's a free-ranging conversation. It is a free-ranging conversation. Because there's a lot of things in life that you have to say goodbye to. Yep. Yep. I mean, I encourage people to read the quote that I always bangle and can never remember. It's in Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis just simply says, childhood is thinking how great it would be to fly. Maturity is being a guy in an airplane. A guy in an airplane doesn't feel the same wonder and magic that a kid does when he imagines being able to fly, but he's flying an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're willing to die to neat. the wonders and pleasures of your childhood, you don't get the mature, longer lasting pleasures of adulthood. And that's actually true with relationships, with people, with, you know, extrapolate well, yeah. this out. This applies to everything yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and often the thing that has to die is just your naivete, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, the child who imagines how wonderful it is to fly an airplane is naive about w what it takes to handle all of the controls, all the things that you have to keep track of, altitude, and everything else that goes, well, I don't know. I'm naive about it. The pressure of just, keeping the plane in the air and all the things that could go wrong. You have to die to that naivete in order to, to get there. To actually fly like Michael Jordan, you have to spend hours and hours and hours drilling down on the fundamentals. Boring, 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 hard, difficult, mentally and emotionally taxing work to have the self-discipline to do that sort of thing. Well, and that's your college students. Stop going back to the same easy relationships on Facebook and make new friends, which might be kind of boring and lame. And like, you have to like talk to somebody and ask them questions and they're going to talk to you and it's going to be weird. And you're not going to suddenly make friends and better put yourself through that process yeah. and come out the other side of it. Be worth it. Die and be reborn. Okay. Well guys, let's talk about this. I don't actually think there's a heck of a lot to say coming back. That we haven't back, already said. That we yeah. haven't already Basically said. Basically said it. We, like, it's still helpful to come back and say it positively, right? Yeah. Sure. So you should do the opposite of the things. You should not avoid, preempt, sabotage, or hold on. What you should do it instead is what, Jake? Actually process your goodbyes. Mm -hmm. Face them down. Look them full in the face. And, and, and say goodbye to things. Right. Take the time to do the work of coming to closure with whatever it is you have to say goodbye to, whether that's going and visiting special places if you're leaving a community or working through differences and what your new life is going to be like with people that you have to say goodbye to or please saying goodbye to something that you, you know, have to take to Goodwill or throw in the dumpster or hand on, like, I don't know, like our house. You know, we, our house went on the market a couple of days ago and it's our first house we've moved apartments and things like that. And those apartments have their memories and things, some of them good and some of them bad. But your first house is a family special. And so you gotta be able to say goodbye to it. Say goodbye, give the kids opportunities to say goodbye to school and church and the ball fields and whatever else is important to them, mm -hmm. you know? Not in a you know, overwrought, overly sentimental sort of way, but you know, some, I mean, I th I'm thinking about this a little bit more and maybe more intentionally than I would have when it comes to place because of the COVID stuff. Mm -hmm. Like hmm. my kids went on spring break and they never came back from spring break. They didn't know that they had had their last day of school. Right. They didn't know they had walked through the doors of Lighthouse Christian Academy for the last time as a student. They were signed up and knew who, what friends were going to be on their baseball teams. 
before they knew that they weren't going to have a baseball season. Hmm. First practices were like in a week and then shut down. And so all these things were just like all these almost or things that like had all these false start that just didn't really have their own natural closing points mm-hmm. where we played the last game here at Smithville and now we're closing the books. We came to our last day of school for the school year and we're not simply having closure on the school year, but closure on the school and our friends. All those natural things are, are gone. You know, and we timed everything so that they would have those natural endpoints. And even that got taken away. So it's just like, you have to go out of your way sometimes to be sure that you've said goodbye and processed things that mm-hmm. have meant something to you. And I think it helps in those situations to know your processing speed and to know other people's processing speeds too. Like one place where me and my wife often have tension is yeah, I can just be a dunce like with the books and not understand that anything is emotionally at stake. I do that me Tarzan, you Jane kind of thing sometimes. But also I can be the opposite extreme and be a very agile emotional processor. And I can actually say goodbye to something quickly. And it's not that I've not done any of the bad things. It. It's yeah. that I've just I've just done it quickly. Like my yeah. My my heart runs at that speed. Um, <laughs> it's called hypertension. It's called hypertension. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to die when I'm forty. Um, <laughs> I mean, we we never articulate it like this, but I think it would be helpful if we did. You know, she'll be like, "No, I need to take more time. Like, I need to sit at the waterfall and watch it for another five minutes." Whereas, yeah, you're like, "Okay, well, that's the waterfall, and been here, done that check." Yeah, I'm sad. And check. I've been sad and, and goodbye. I tend to process things in reverse too, and process them verbally. So for me, we could go to the waterfall. I could clock the waterfall, and then the real processing is when we talk about it yeah. five months later or something like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, some people are more contemplative. They just want to be in front of that waterfall and let the memories flow through them, and like a waterfall, like a waterfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Very poetic. <laughs> it is very poetic. That's why people listen to us. Yeah. yeah. The poetry. The poetry. Intrinsic <laughs> in our... <laughs> I think the only th- other thing I want to say is I feel the... Maybe maybe this isn't something we've strayed into or something that anyone would be tempted to think based on what we've said, but I do think it's easy for people to take everything we just said and turn it into... Some maudlin over... Yeah, that's that. But there's a particular way that people like, okay, so the extreme example is with death. And you see this in movies all the time. Death is just a natural part of the circle of life, you know. Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the force. Mourn them do not. Miss them do not. The way that you make your peace with something painful is by turning the pain itself into a good. A good thing, yeah. You know, like... A virtue. It's not that mm-hmm. you don't process it, but you process it as a friend. I mean, you know, New Age type people will literally say, and some Christians will literally say death is a friend. Well, no. The Bible death explicitly says death is an enemy. Right. Mm-hmm. The fact that people die is sad, and they are no longer with us, and there's closure that you can't get on that like you're not going to talk to that person again i will never see ernie and bert (laughs) cookie monster again because the dog ate them 
<laughs> you know, those books that meant so much to Meredith, they are gone now. They are just a memory. We live in a fallen, broken world. Sorry to have to say it. There's something that's just sad about that. And that yeah, you don't get to just process it into something beautiful and wonderful. And no matter how much you process it, those books ain't coming back. More than that, those books are maybe in a dumpster somewhere, slowly rotting and falling to pieces. The, the other day was Memorial Day. I was flipping through Facebook and my dad posted this picture I'd never seen before of my grandfather. And it just, it, it, I don't know how long it's been, three, four years. Not that fresh, but right time, right place, right look, right shot of him. You know, that just like, ow, I miss my grandpa. I'll never see him again. His body is in a coffin, in a grave. It's there. He can go dig it up. He's not going to come back. Not this way. Not this way. Sin is real. Death is a consequence of sin. The fall is real. It happened, and we deal with it. And it is sad and tragic, and its effects are all around us. And it's not just that those things are gone. It's that they rot and they decay. That It's not just that Bert and Ernie and Cookie Monster got eaten by the dog. It's that somewhere, in some form or another, those dearly beloved toys of yours. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you exactly what form. Isn't that pretty? <laughs> Well, uh, I, I'm not trying to make it melodramatic or turn this into the plot of a Toy Story movie. That would be a horrible Toy Story movie. That would be a bad Toy Story <laughs> movie. Would be. But, but I am, it's important to live there for a minute. There's a right way to go about saying goodbye and there's a wrong way, but I don't know. I don't want to end on some kind of hopeless. Oh, we got more to talk about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was just thinking that for a Christian, a goodbye is an act of faith. It really is. Because mm-hmm. it's a reminder that you don't, get to even control we grieve but not as those without hope yeah yeah that's true for death and that's true for moving from your the third grade class that you know and love to some new city where you're not going to see your old friends again i mean it has to be an act of faith and it is what's precious about the promises even of a new heaven and a new earth you know it's not that the new heaven's going to necessarily include my dog there's no loss that is an ultimate loss Mm -hmm. for a christian There's no loss that a Christian experiences in this life that does not somehow turn to an ultimate gain, which is not to say that the loss doesn't happen. Mm, It does happen. It isn't real. It is not to say that heaven would not have been... This is a weird way to talk about this, but bear with me here, because I'm going to forge into some some territory, and then I'm going to step way back from it. When everything is said and done, everything will have redounded as perfectly to the glory of God as possible. This will be the Christian's delight. That does not mean that the sorrows and the losses were not real somehow. But it does mean that they all worked together to build something beautiful that showed God's glory in as many of its facets and as much of its splendor and beauty as possible. It's the way that he orchestrated and designed it. The dark spots with the bright spots of the mosaic setting each other off. How that all works together is a mystery. How the sadnesses make the sweetnesses sweeter. It's hard to, it's ineffable, it's beyond us. It's the kind of thing that we dare not talk about too much. But it is real. 
without minimizing the losses, we will rejoice at all of the ways those losses have thrown the goodness, the kindness, the beauty, the glory, the holiness of God into relief for his glory and our good. That can sound mystical and cosmic and almost sort of Zen, but it's not because Zen is emptying yourself of feeling about things. And this is a, not to get C.S. lewis but a fullness. No. Zen yep. says nothing really matters, actually. So avoid, preempt, sabotage, do what you have to. This says everything matters. It all matters. This is why you process the grief. Because it all counts. Yes. We are living in a world that God has sent his son to and that will be redeemed. That's why we observe these griefs. That's why we process these things to their fullness, actually. (laughs) So process the griefs. Put in the time to do it, to process it in your relationships. Don't preempt them. Shut them off early. See them out to the end. Walk with people who are dying to the finish line with them. They'll go someplace that you can't follow yet, but you go with them right up to the edge all the way. Let God and grief do its work on you. Don't turn it into a selfish way to get catharsis on your own terms. But let God, let sin, let the brokenness of this world do its good work in you. And let it go and move on. Grow, mature beyond your griefs and pains. They're things that God's brought to you as real sadnesses and real griefs, but real opportunities as well to grow and to mature. And you need to see them that way. Respond with faith. Grow and mature. Let things go in time. Sound of Sanity, produced by me, associate produced by Benjamin Solzer, executive produced by Jake and me. Go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity for lots more stuff. Some cool sanity bites, almost like additional episodes of the show. I think that's all the people need to know, right, Ben? I think that's it. Everything. That's everything that you need to know. All right. Well, until next time, stay sane.